Celeb Savant is a career retrospective type interview focusing on singers, actors and industry experts. Join Barrett Edelstein now as he dives into the entertainment world. Sybil is a soul diva from Patterson, New Jersey. She has been in the music and entertainment world for multiple decades. She's collaborated with some of the top producers and acts in the music industry, notably Stock, Aitken and Waterman, and a number of others. She has released six full-length studio albums, namely Let Yourself Go, Sybil, Civilization, Doing It Now, Good and Ready, and Still a Thrill. She has had multiple appearances on the charts all around the world with such singles as Don't Make Me Over, Walk On By, The Love I Lost, When I'm Good and Ready, My Love Is Guaranteed, and many more. Her singles and albums have impacted the charts in the USA, UK, Philippines, Japan, South Africa, New Zealand, territories in Europe, and in Asia. With a music catalogue that spans a number of decades, Sybil continues to release new music and at the same time tour the world. Up next on Slab's Front, we've got singer and songwriter Sybil. How are you doing and where do we find you in the world? I am I'm doing well. I'm actually in North Carolina, which is of course the southern state on the eastern us uh, on the east coast of the United States of America. So I'm in North Carolina. Yes. Lovely. And I'm actually uh, on campus, on the college campus right now. That's where I am. Okay, awesome. So we're going to dive into that a little bit later. But first mm-hmm. of all, let's, let's focus on your journey. So actually, what reminded me to reach out to you for the podcast, I was watching a Stock Aiken and Waterman documentary that you were mm-hmm. on. I was like, ha, I have to get some of my podcasts. <laughs> so that's when I reached out to you. Yes. So let's rewind. At what age did you decide, cool, you want to be in the entertainment or music industry? I know it's multi-decades, multi-years. And how mm-hmm. did your journey progress? So the hybrid Sybil journey story. Wow. It's funny because I never, ever really wanted to be a professional singer. Okay. Never. That was not part of what I thought I wanted to do, but I was naturally gifted. I mean, there was, it was, a fa- it's something that my family, we were, were artists, were creatives and uh, music was a big deal for us. And so it started at an early age, of course, singing in church. I, I, I started singing in church and then it kind of went into musical theater. And so musical theater and then choirs, along the way between church and school and then went away to college and was in a band. Uh, and, and, and it was funny because I ended up, uh, because my music from high school and then into college, I ended up running into who would become one of the, um, the, the new, the people that say, Oh, we want you to write. We want you to, we want you, we want you to sing because they knew of my story. Mm. And so the early years, I never really wanted, I didn't want to do it professionally. Uh, I although I loved music. But it was just something that kind of it evolved out of the fact that someone saw something in me and tapped into me. And they said, we want you to to come to the studio and to do um, demo a record. OK, well, that record ended up being it ended up being my first record, which was Falling in Love, um, mm-hmm. which was on it ended up being on Next Plateau. Um, and I think it was and then it was on Champion Records in the UK. And so. Uh, and it changed the trajectory of my life because back 
1987, I started traveling abroad to the UK and it was like, wait a minute, you mean I can make money and travel? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's really what it was all about. That's honestly what, what it was all about. It ended up being um, that for me. Yeah. When you were thinking, cool, you don't want to be a professional singer. What were your thoughts of your journey of what you wanted to be? Gosh, you, well, I wanted to be an attorney. I, I mean, literally, I graduated college, and um, I always wanted to be an attorney. That's what I was studying. Um, what we call the LSAT, which is a standardized um, prerequisite or qualifying um, standard test to gain access to a law school, potential law school. So um, it was the, I was doing. I was doing multiple things. Um, and I was an editor out of college. I worked as an editor and a proofreader for a publishing company and was singing every weekend, literally every weekend. Okay. I was working with a band and just traveling around, you know, between the New York metropolitan area. So New Jersey, New York, um, Pennsylvania. And I ended up, um, realizing that I could actually make a living. <laughs> To be honest with you, that I could make a living in 1987 um, is when I realized, and I think my parents, I was, I was wanting to be that that child that was kind of obedient and and um, and and paid attention to the fact that my parents had invested a lot of money in education for me, right. and I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be that that what they say, starving artist. I didn't want to be that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and I was afraid of that. And so it was not until I realized that I could get step away um, from from I guess an ordinary kind of a job into um, into into the music industry yeah and so it changed for me in 1987 and and when I started and it was I had a three-month um I had my records had done really well on the dance floors around the UK and so I literally had three months worth of work and so I'm like okay we can do this <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so you've had um multiple year multiple hits multiple years multiple mm -hmm. successful releases you mentioned that you are on the college campus. So do you put, still perform live and do music? Oh, I still do all of that. Okay. Um, I'm actually, let me say that the thing is, is that I work at a, a community college as I was an instructor for a long time. I taught lyric and songwriting, composition, creative writing. Um, and I worked in an area, um, I worked with students who were deemed at risk and I loved it. They were, I, I'll say this, they were the rough and tough, but they worked well with me. And I think they knew that I was a little bit different. <laughs> I was a little different. And then when they realized my backstory, one of the things for them, one of the things was that they thought it was the coolest thing ever that their instructor, their coach was me. You know, yeah. they were like, so I was known as Miss Sybil. And, uh, and, and, and so I started out, it, it started like that. And it just ended up being really a safe place for me outside of music. And so I stayed with it. I mean, I, I, stepped, I stepped away from it. I did it, started in 2000 and, and did it for that year. And then for three years, I did other things. I was traveling, you know, doing work, music, music mm -hmm. primarily. And in 2003, my mentor came. She was the director of a program and she said, I need you. And it was at that time um, that she took me under her wing and she started um, basically working with me. I worked with a program that worked with students who the courts, okay, the legal system said, you got one of two options. You either go to school or you go back to jail. Oh, and wow. I found that to be challenging. And I found, but at the same time, I found it to be invigorating that they would be placed in my hands. Do you know? Because yeah. to me, that was really important. And so, and I was really good at it. <laughs> I'm not, I was really good at it. That they were doing well. And so, um, so I was an adjunct instructor. Then I became a coordinator. 
um, for a program that helped to address housing insecurity, food insecurity, um, emergency assistance. And I have literally, um, when I've tried to leave, they find something else for me to do. <laughs> and, and, and so it balances my life out because when I need to go away and sing, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I mean, I'm, I go and do. And, and so I'm still able to travel and, and, and do festivals and do shows. And, um, and I do work around here. I mean, I do festivals are here with my band. And so for me, especially you get to a certain age, I say, I'm not young. I don't want to be traveling, you know, mm. 16 hours on a flight, you know, all the time to have to make a living. I don't want to do that. Um, and so I pick and choose what works for me. Like I love, I love going to South Africa. Love it. Love. I love South Africa. Um, it's probably, and people often say, ask me, they said, if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you live? And I said, I love South Africa. I love, I love Cape Town. I love Joburg. I love, I've been to Bloemfontein. I've been to Port Elizabeth. I've been to uh, Durban. I love the country. I do. And, um, and, and it's people. I think that it's the coolest yeah. thing. Um, that they've been braced me since 1993. Um, and I know, you know, when, even in the midst of before everything changed. Mm. And so, so I actually, so, and, and I love England. I love it because they embraced me early on. And so I, um, so those are two countries South, everyone knows South Africa and the UK. I could live there outside the US. I could, I would live, you know, could live happily. Um, because it's just, it's just, I have friends there. Um, mm. And people who love and respect what I do. So, and, and as I've gotten older, my audiences have, they, they, they in these countries have grown with me, mm. you know, and they, and they get it. And that's everything because I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to compete with a youngster. I'm just not trying to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I love that you love South Africa. I love South Africa as well. I love, I live in Johannesburg. I love it here. Um, Joburg, yes. Yeah, Joburg. <laughs> So next time you come to South Africa, you must let me know, uh, performing or whatever, definitely, because I, I haven't yet to see you live, and I'd love to see you perform live. Oh. And we'll go for coffee afterwards and go for drinks, whatever, but anyway, yes. so let's dive back into uh, performing live. What do you enjoy yeah. about it? The audience. It's always the, it's always the audience. Um, I don't care if it's five or 5,000. It's the people, the energy and the love that you receive back when you're performing and doing, doing a song that means something to them. And then they tell you, you know, I remember when, Mm. or I remember what I was doing. And so that's what I love. I love the energy that I get from the people that come to see me actually perform. And I think what it is, it's like, I always joke and say, there's never ever, you'll never ever see a a duplicate Sybil show. First off, let me say, because I'm a Gemini. So my, I'm all over, like I, you know, I, I, I need to, I need to have the ability to be able to kind of, kind of mix it up. Mm. And so even if it's a track show, you will never see the tracks may be the same, but I may add, I may, you know, add a, a piece of like a, a Nina Simone um, lyric or, a, mm. you know, or a Bob Dylan in, in, in the middle of a house track because that's just how I think. Yeah. And so it really just depends. It really honestly depends. Uh, but I love performing live and I get, the high that I get, the adrenaline and the rush that I get come from the audience. Okay, so I've got a question around this or the point of discussion. I'm that person that's always right in front, dancing, jamming, do my thing. I'll take my phone out for maybe one or two videos, one or two pictures, and I put my phone away. And I notice mm-hmm. people around me have their cell phones out for a lot of the time. They're filming, yes. posting, tweeting. So from <laughs> the person on the stage receiving that, 
Do you mm-hmm. feel that disconnects the energy you were speaking of, or it's just where society is at the moment? You know, we have to make the we have to adjust with the times, and I get it, and um, and that can be a it can be a blessing and it can be a curse if you're having a really bad night, but it can be a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a blessing because these people are going to share that with people who didn't have the opportunity to come see you. Mm. And you hope that what it does is it introduces you possibly to an audience that you would not have reached. And so I, I understand where we are, although I much rather prefer them just focus on singing along with me yeah. and being engaged yeah. that way. But I do understand that the advent of technology being what it is, um, that's just kind of par for the course. Do I like it? No. But do I know that it exists? Yes. And I tolerate it. I love me a CD. I still budget for my CDs every month. I love the aesthetic of holding something. I love looking at the pictures. For me, it's mm-hmm. an energy exchange to guys to say thank you for the hard work that you've done. Yes. I'm not sure if you're aware. CDs, cassettes, vinyls, they're all making a massive comeback. Uh, vinyls, uh, biggest sales last year in the UK since 1990. CDs mm-hmm. big, uh, jumped first time in 21 years. We've also got these streaming platforms that people consume, is, consume music on. What are your observations and perceptions of each? You know, the thing is, is that uh, I remember, I remember um, when I had a cassette and I, I remember when the CDs first came out, I thought, that's not going to last long. That's not going to last long. <laughs> and, then, and then it morphed into, and then it morphed into more than that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And what I feel is, that, and the thing is, that what I'm th- thinking is ding, 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 because I got a lot of vinyl, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I said, if I really wanted to sell some of my own stuff, I really would do okay. Um, but I like to hold on to it. I love vinyl. I still, I have a turntable. My parents still have a turntable. Mm. Um, and because I like records, I like the, I like the staticky sound when you place the needle on the record. I love that. Um, uh, and I still have CDs and I make sure, I, I it's funny because I recently, um, I love Emily Sunday. Love her. Mm, and um, yeah. my friends in the UK know that I love her. So when she comes out with a product, of course, it doesn't come to the US as quickly. So okay. they always make sure that they get me a signed copy. They literally. And so and I always get a CD. I like the CD. I, 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 I like a book. I can't read them. I don't like reading on Kindles. It's just not my thing. I like <laughs> same. I'm the same. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I like I like getting a book. I like opening up the book and turning the pages. I don't like I can't. It's technology. Yeah, it's something, and it's something about it. I was recently speaking with someone in regard to that, and they said, "I said I will pay more for a hardback book. A hard I like hard mm. hardbacks." And I said, "Unless I unless I absolutely cannot get it in a hard you know hardcover, um, but then." It's just like I I will search until I find yes. the heart if I can. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm that girl, and I'm the one who I still have an appreciation. I have boxes of cassettes. I know that there's nothing we can play them play them on really, but I have them. Yeah. You know, so um, I don't have VHS. Okay, I'm not going to say I'm going back to my parents' name. <laughs> but when I was recording and we used to go out and perform, we had two inch reels. They used to go on the reels. Yes. I still, I still have the reels from when my early days, 1986, 1987, the early, the late 80s, when we would go and they would put the thread and when they play our tracks on the reel to reel, I still have the reels. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so my issues are this. I like knowing um, that I sold how many units I actually sold. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's really clear, um, uh, a clear, a, a, a clear picture of what that looks like. You know what I'm saying? That That's what that is um, for us. So the streaming, it just kind of, I think it dilutes the crew. It dilutes it a little bit. And so that's a problem for me. Yeah. 
are you busy creating new music at the moment? Will there be new music? What's happening in there? <laughs> it's funny. I'm actually, and I'm really, I'm really excited. I call him like my little brother, but um, I'm working with uh, some gentlemen that one's here and the other one is is based in uh, Northern Africa, Hamadi. So it's um, it's Trav and Hamadi, and they actually have a a, a record that's called Spaceship, which is really a cool record. But I'm working with them because I I want um I, I like the the Afro beat and I, yeah. you know uh, I'm a piano type of yes. I like that yeah, yeah. type of stuff. But it but if anyone listens to my early stuff, they 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 would know that that would be kind of cool for me mm-hmm. because. When you think about when you look at my "Don't Make Me Overs" and the walk on by, the vibe of the music that I was doing was very solely was really solely it had different kind of energy, different kind of vibe. And so, um, so yes, I'm still writing, I'm still creating. And you know, the funny thing is that uh, I'm I'm looking not looking to travel and do the same, do what how I used to do, mm. but I just want to be able to have uh, the things that mean something to me and speak to speak to who I am right now out on the landscape of the music landscape. Uh, and I think that, that would be really cool. So yes, I'm still writing. I'm going to finish up a project. Um, I worked with an, uh, another young, another gentleman on his project, and um, and and, and in doing so, the engineer and producer they were like, "We would really love to work with you." And I said, "Well, let me get finished with this other project that I'm doing." Um, so I'm I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I'm a creative, and so I never stop being that. And I keep my voice in check because I sing every week. I sing uh, somewhere, you know, and and primarily it's in church because I'm. Um, the praise team facilitator. Um, so I don't just sing in my shower. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. And so, and, pre- and maybe once a month, once a month, I actually do a show show, like a, yep. you know, a, a civil show. And so that keeps me on top of, on top of things. And, uh, and generally around April is when I start traveling abroad, April through September are, are my busy travel months. Yes. Yeah. From zero to three to four minutes in creating a song. What motivates it? What invigorates it? Is it easy? Let's dive into your creative brain in creating music. Oh, you know what? It's the ideas for songs are triggered by maybe what I'm going through or what I'm seeing um, that speaks to my heart um, and, and, and comes natural. There are times when I literally have pull my phone out because I'm in the car and a word or something comes to mind and I start singing a lyric or a melody. So it can be at any time, any place. Um, and, and when I have downtime or if I hear a, a, a groove, if I hear a groove and I'm like, ah, oh, I will try, I can side, I sidebar, sidebar do a lyric. I love stuff like that. And so it can happen at any time, any place. And, and then when I present it to, to, to my, to the writing partner, because generally I have to have someone to program and to and or to play, uh, it's already on tape. It may be rough, but I have it. So it comes at any time. It happens in, in spurts. There's sometimes when I just have a like a creative freeze, uh, and and it won't be a song, but it may be a written because I'm a writer too. I love to write. It may be a written word, maybe a journaling thing. Um, but it it really depends. But in terms of from its inception, the idea of a song comes, and and any songs that I write, there's some direct correlation with uh, my life, maybe, and my life being that that would um, that includes other people. Yes. Um, and it includes what I'm seeing that may just kind of trigger some uneasiness in me that makes me write a song about homelessness. Or, you know, I remember when I wrote a song called um, uh, Open Up the Door, and it was really about homelessness. It was about traveling. Uh, I traveled and I would see levels of poverty that just 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 did me in. And yeah. uh, and I vowed I would never c- complain again. 
because I was, I think I was in Indonesia and I'd seen this woman with her child. I was there for two weeks and I this one road we take pretty much every day into work and, uh, and doing, it was, I was doing music and she was always really, really smiling and clean. But then I realized one day she was coming out from a box on the side of the road. And I said, you know what? There's no need for me to complain. I have a lot more than, than, than many. And, uh, and I just started appreciating life and what I had differently. You know, traveling, that helped me to really honestly focus what my priorities were and what they are. Yeah. So the attitude of gratitude. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And that's another thing. I think that that was my, the, the issues with my parents with saying I was going to go into music is that so many artists, they get consumed by, you know, drugs, alcohol, and just kind of behaviors that, that can take them under, mm. you know. And I think my parents are really concerned about that. That was a big thing for them. Uh, the idea that I would succumb to, you know, conditions that would, would put me in a really kind of awkward um, or bad way. And I proved them wrong because that's those things I didn't, I th- I'm so thankful. I never, ever got consumed and caught up. And I have a good time. <laughs> and I have a good time. I can see you have a good time. <laughs> you have such yes. a good, infectious energy. So you mentioned that creative freeze. So mm-hmm. when that happens, whenever it happens and for however long, do you get frustrated or just or you just surrender and let it go until it flows out? I've learned how to surrender. It used to frustrate me. But as you get older, you become wiser and realize that there's nothing you can do. You just kind of let it happen. And recently um, I heard someone say, that um, it's okay to be in a let it be uh, season. And and it was, they were talking about the Beatles, you know, Paul McCartney when he wrote Let It Be and, mm. and the words behind it and how there was a correlation with that. It's, some, some, it's biblical. And Paul McCartney didn't even realize that it really was kind of biblical. That's yeah. and, and they were talking about that. And they said, ironically enough, his mother's name was Mary, okay? That his yeah. mother's name was Mary. Yeah, and yeah. Used her, but yeah, but at the same time, the same token is that I'm in this season of let it be. It's just like there's some things that I cannot control. I'm not going to try to control. And when I'm supposed to get to that place of creative freedom again and be able to put pen to paper or voice to tape or mm. record, then it'll happen. Because the thing is, is that you can't, there's not much that you can, when you're, when you're all pent up and there's anxiety, um, you don't get your best work. I don't yeah. care what you're doing. You don't, your best work and your best anything, it, it doesn't happen. It does not, it does not manifest in, into something that's what you might be really proud of. Yeah, and yeah. so I learned how to let it be. It's okay to let it be. I love that. And also the, the fans or the people listening can differentiate or can feel the energy of when it's forced or pressured or anxious compared to when it's letting it be. <laughs> Yes, right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, it's so funny because when I hear a lot of these songs today, I was um, having a discussion with some of my other contemporaries, um, um, Julie McKnight, is who, I, who I absolutely adore. Um, and Julie said, we were, we were just talking, it's just the process for songwriting for young people, people of a certain generation is very different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very different. And so, it's okay. How many books, I always joke, how many books have they read? Because the thing is, a lot of times your vocabulary <laughs> increases <laughs> when you've actually picked up a book and read it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you can't sing about, you can't sing about and have any diversity in what you're offering when your exposures have been really limited. Yeah. And so we talk about the fact that what artists of today, there are very few, there are some that are, that are capable, but what artists of today are we going to remember? Like we remember you know, the Aretha Franklins, um, like we remember 
you know, the um, the Dionne Warwicks. And like we remember, I mean, the, the Earth, Wind and Fires, you know, the, the, the groups, the, I mean, the Barbara Streisands. How many singers of today are going? That's why they make a big fuss over, you know, I'm not a Swifty. I'm just go there. I'm not. I respect, you know, I respect that she does. But what I think it is, is that people at least have songs they can sing. She does write. And, but how many do we have of them? Yeah. You know, how many artists today do we have of them? Because some of the country artists are great. But really, when you talk about pop and, and, and R&B and, and who's there, you know. And also um, the thing is that it's so fleeting because people's attention spans are like 10 seconds. So yes. then all of a sudden, they're massive. And then mm-hmm. they release another song, a few songs, and then they don't even chart. I'm like, That's right. but you got to number one like a year ago. Why are these songs not? It's just people's fleeting and it's, yeah, it's just, it's frustrating. <laughs> it, 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 it is frustrating. And so, you know, I tell you, I said, look, you can respect that a person's earning, um, that a person's earning money, not a problem, but don't try to diminish what other people have offered on, you know, uh, on the platform. Mm. Um, that, that, you know, that maybe millions aren't gravitating towards, but it doesn't diminish how good it is. Exactly. Because there are some, there are some artists who are just really, really good, but they'll never get to the levels of C of, 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 of visibility that some others will. We don't know what that's about yeah. because, but it is what it is. And the older artists have a, have generally have a rougher way to go because not being funny, we're not getting on these, we're not streaming. We're not doing that like that. We, yeah. we, we just do things differently. So does it diminish and, and dilute what they're offering? It shouldn't, but unfortunately it does. And that's what bothers me. That's what bothers me. And it's also interesting, for example, like like some of the artists that are coming out now that are millions and millions and millions of, and it shouldn't be about followers on social media. It should mm-hmm. not be mm-hmm. about that. And if, like, for example, if social media was out when you were number three and number five on the charts, you'd have like, but it's it, like, it's so frustrating. But what's interesting, yeah. they'll have 50 million followers, but they don't even get into the top 100 of the charts with their so- new songs. It's like, what's, right. there's a big disconnect there. It is, it is a major disconnect. And, and, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality. That That's the reality. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, people will say, do you, do, does it bother you that I said no? I said, you know, the times that I was living in, the, the time that I came up in, in, in the industry, I think that, you know, I did, I did well for that time, yes. you know, but if I was, I would joke, I said, but if I was that same person with those things, I said, man, I would be, it would be crazy, you know, because I try to figure out how they're able to make the millions and millions of dollars through streaming when yeah. there's not a whole lot, there's like there's yeah. pennies, very Absolutely. little. Okay. So you're part of that, um, as I mentioned earlier, I watched you as part of the Stock Aiken Waterman documentary. Mm-hmm. What was it like to be part of that that legacy and that amazement that came out of that little building in London. <laughs> and that built, it had so much energy in that building. It was, and the funny thing is I often joke and, I, and I've said it to Pete Waterman. Um, I said, I always felt like I was kind of on the outside really, because I was so different than the other artists that they have. Yes. Um, and, and I've, I've been very vocal about that. Uh, however, I'm very thankful for, they believed in me though. They believed in me in such a way that um, it kind of catapulted aspects of my career at a time when I needed it mm. to be, you know, the change because there were changes with my with the, with the label in the states, and then there was a change with um, it was just a change, and they were they were it was it was good timing, um, so they they took my I'll never forget some the label that had 
don't make me over, said, we can't seem to chart this. And I'll never forget, Pete Wardman said, if I chart it, can I have Sybil, you know, can I, because they had first dibs on the album from, this, from the U.S. Mm. And, and he said, if you can get it charted, she's yours. They got it charted and then yeah. followed it with a top three record with Walk On By. Yes. And so it was not being funny. It was like, okay. So I owe a lot of gratitude. And it was funny because they took a chance on um, someone who, I'm, again, I was not Kylie Minogue. I was not Rick Astley. I was not, you know, I was more like the Donna Summer. Like I loved Donna Summer. We just go there. And, um, and so I was really, I thought that I would be a good fit because I think in terms of vocally, she and I were very similar. Although we were black women, our, the appeal, our voice appeal was, it was, it, it touched across, you know, eth- ethnic groups and, 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 and races and, and communities because we just had, I think we had voices that were just kind of really pure. Um, and, 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 and they were surrounded by really good tracks and really good, you know, really good rhythms and tunes. And so I always loved and admired that about, about Donna. And I wanted to, so I, I took it as a, a compliment. And then so working with um, Mike and Matt, Matt for a very short time, but Pete and, and Mike longer because Matt had kind of um, stepped away from the day to day. But it was really cool because they were um, they were making things happen. A lot of people had problems with them. Yes. But at the end of the day, they were called the hit makers for a reason. They were exactly. making hits. And um, and so ultimately, then when they ended up creating um, some songs for me and one of them, one of my biggest records, When I'm Good and Ready, you know, it just ended up being a. Uh, it ended up being working while it worked. It ended up working. And I hated when they um, dissolved and um, they put me with a, 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 with a company that I don't think quite understood what to do with me. Okay. And uh, yeah. And so I've been fortunate because I still work off of tracks that are 30 years old, 40 years old, 30, 30 plus years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I know if I had to ask you this question in two minutes, two years, 10 years, Five minutes, I know your answer will be different every time because there are millions of them. I recognize that and I understand that. I'm not saying favorite. I'm mm-hmm. saying if you had to push play to five songs by other artists, once we finish this conversation, what would those five songs be and by whom? Gosh, it would be a Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, mm-hmm. um, Donny Hathaway. It would be, a, it would be almost anything Donny Hathaway did. And his daughter Layla Hathaway, I love, I love her. And in terms of new, it would be Emily Sande, who I absolutely mm-hmm. love. Um, and so I'm an album girl. And then I have a, a, goth, a Jonathan McReynolds, who's a gospel artist, who's amazing. He's an amazing uh, artist. And um, and just uh, so that that's what I would put on because that's kind of what's sitting. I'm thinking what's sitting, <laughs> you know, in my office at home. Um, yeah, and th- those because I love, I love Marvin Gaye. Um, I love and. And I will say this, um, a reincarnation of him is a, a, an artist by the name of October London. If you get a chance, listen to him. He's so, he's so, my, my mother was like, oh, is that, is that, that's Marvin. I said, no, mom, it's not. I love the uh, list, some to add to my list. So the podcast is listened to throughout the world. As a final message, what would you like to say? I would like to say that live your life intentionally. Um, we don't know tomorrow is not promised and um, and we don't know what it will bring. And don't assume that you'll have access into tomorrow. So you live in your now, ex- appreciating your now, regardless of what it looks like, um, in anticipation that you'll be given another opportunity to kind of live the life in the next day, um, in the next hour that you really want to live. And so just live, live intentionally, live boldly 
um, but live carefully. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and always enjoy the music. Always enjoy the music. Thank you for listening to this episode of Celeb Savant. Please follow Barrett on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Celeb Savant. That's C E L E B S A V A N T. 